Hi, Bay. We're back. <laughs> I mean, we're back every week. I don't know why. Ooh, Nelly! Yeah, we can't do that. Well, we're not back every week. That's true, yeah. Sometimes... <laughs> Some weeks... Look, we have lives. We the, have, you know, we've got to do other things. We call it mini hibernations. We get tired. Yeah, like... <laughs> Sometimes the pressure just builds up and we have to retreat, you know? It's hard. <laughs> it's so hard being a podcaster. Why? It's so hard to Are we pod- podcasters? No, we're not. Yeah. It's like, nah. We dabble. <laughs> and we drag you I'll consider, kind folks along with us. I'll consider week. us podcasters when we get like a real mic, you know? <laughs> when we get a yeah. real mic and we don't constantly hear the train like rattling oh by God. our windows. They'll I feel like, like that's really what people keep coming back for, though, is just, like, the trashy, ambient noise that we have oh. going on in the back. We should create, like, a separate segment where we just complain about our housing. Mm. I mean, but I feel like maybe that, that's just what the intro is. Wait a minute. Just... No, we can't complain. We have to celebrate because it's 2020 and we're going to be more positive. Right, 2020 positivity. We're going to hold on to our resolution for another week at least. we got to get out of January. I know. I actually told that to my coworkers. I was like, I'm going to be more positive. And they laughed. laughed in my face. Yeah, like, <laughs> <I knew it. laughs> and they were like, "Uh huh, cool." I was like, "Wow, that for, first of all, that just proves that I picked the right New Year's resolution because obviously it's something I need to work on." And second of all, yeah, that, that's actually pretty much it. Positivity twenty twenty. <laughs> I don't think this week has been that crazy. This is my first week back at the school. It's been fine, aside from the fact that both of us are branded. We each locked ourselves out of our apartment on oh, the same yeah. day. Same day. We also, like... But it was a total... full moon. I know. I mean, I believe in that witchy shit. I'm all about those full moons. I know you do. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. We both locked ourselves out on the same day at different points mm-hmm. and had to kind of sit around outside and just wait for the other. I literally just sat on the stoop and watched Cheer on Netflix. Great documentary. It's so good. Fantastic. <laughs> I never thought I could care about cheerleading. What a great documentary. Cheer on Netflix. Check really it out. It takes it to the next level. <laughs> You will believe in a cult of personality. Like, oh, you God. will, like, imagine a gang of, like, everyone there is, like, they want to be Mr. Motivational. They want to be, like, the Tony Robbins of yeah. cheerleading. <laughs> and it's, like, so every single one of them is, like, trying to give their fucking Trying to, like, one-up qu- each other. Yeah, their fourth quarter, like, we're down by three points. We gotta get it together yeah. and make it stick. You gotta hit. We gotta hit hard. Yeah. Like, and it's just like... My favorite was the uh, devout Christian prayer that was shouted. Oh, yeah. As they're all holding hands, they're like, Lord, give us the strength! Yeah. Give us the strength! Like, a sort of call and response. Like, oh It is God. kind of terrifying because it's just, like, this group of hyper athletic extremely fit individuals extremely fit like but they're all just like so it's a cult cheerleader fashion and cheerleader iconography dude that shit is weird it was weird right like the weird kind of like poofed up hair and like a giant bow yeah there's like they're like wearing bows unironically and it it was just very like I was like, this is a child playing dress up as like but they're adults. the 80s yeah. idea of like, it was very strange and I did not like it yeah. at all. But anyway, welcome to our comic no, podcast. No, wait, I want to talk about, about one like... thing. I want to say one more thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> Cheerleading is strangely corporate. There's a yeah. very sinister corporation kind of behind all this. Check out the documentary Cheer. It's yeah. really good. Sorry. 
Now to comics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. We should really rebrand this podcast as like, we read a comic and then we avoid talking about it for an hour. Yeah. Like. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> comic bang. I mean, I'm That could be our tagline. <laughs> it's hard because like, as I was doing a lot of research for our book this week, I came across a ton of videos about it and some of them were so cringy. Like one went so far as to like narrate scenes in the book, like reading the different dialogues and doing it very dramatically. So there's like this really fine line that I feel like we're trying to walk where it's like, we want to summarize it, but then... We don't want to go beat by beat. No, it's so boring because it's a visual medium. Yeah, exactly. We're but just trying to give like an overarching... I would like to read aloud this one select... <laughs> Let's take a minute. <laughs> Let's tell the people what book we read. Okay, yeah. We read Preacher. It's the first volume, Gone to Texas, and it's by Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon. Two heavy hitters in comics, for and sure. And also, The Best of Friends, which I did not know until yeah. you... Yeah. Oh my god, Hannah, we almost didn't mention our favorite colorist. Oh my god, is it Matt Hollingsworth? It's Matt Hollingsworth! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> He's good, him. right? He's great! But, but also, I just love when he comes back. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is the genius who worked on Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. <laughs> Oh, that sounds so snarky, because I actually do love his comic book work. He is amazing. It's his movie production art that's questionable. I mean, yeah. And I'm not saying the art is questionable. I'm saying the projects that he's attached to. Right. The colors were really different in this one, huh? Oh, they were, but in, like, a good way. I felt like it was very... It fit the vibe of the the comic. Yeah, I definitely... I was into it. I'm kind of jumping ahead here, because we'll talk about the art a little later, right? Yeah, let's summarize. And again, it's like, we're not going to go beat by beat. We're just going to give you an overview. Uh, We open in the middle of the story. We have our three main characters. Jesse Custer, a reverend. Tulip O'Hare, who is uh, a sort of hitman... Kind of. The... She's almost like a um, reluctant hitman. And her and Jesse have a previous romantic relationship. But he walked out on her like five years previous. And she really wants to know why. Yeah. <laughs> and then there is Cassidy, the drunken Irish vampire. My favorite character. For now. Oh. Uh, yeah. Ooh, he's, okay. like, he's... Oh. <laughs> Bait that hook. Anyways, they're basically sitting in a dingy diner being like, whoa, let's go over our story to make sure we're all up to date. Mm. And then it flashes <laughs> back. Something has escaped from heaven. The angels up there are freaking the fuck out. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Jesse Custer, uh, in the flashback, is giving a sermon in his small town when this entity enters his body, causing the entire church to explode, leaving him as the only survivor. Basically, this sets off a chain of event where the angels realize that this entity is on Earth, the FBI is investigating, Jesse is now on the run. He gets picked up by Cassidy who has been giving a ride to Tulip as she's on the run. Yeah, so basically, like, Tulip and Cassidy kind of, like, met by um, by chance, which is, like, probably one of the plot points that I thought was a little weird. So this vampire just happens to find this one ex-girlfriend of the guy who happens to get this entity sucked inside him. Anywho, at various points... Jesse is confronted by the sheriff, the police force, and we find out that he's got the word of God, which is essentially this big, bold, red text that allows him to 
give a command and you must obey it. It's more powerful even than God. And we kind of come to find out that the thing that sort of like went inside him is what's called Genesis. And it's the offspring of a demon and an angel. And it's like the most powerful being in the universe and it's now residing within him. We learned that this being, once it was created, causes God to freak out and abandon his throne. So once Jesse learns from two dipshit angels yeah. that the throne of heaven is abandoned, he gets really pissed off. He determines he's going to find God and basically hold him to account for his perceived crimes. Right. That is essentially Preacher in a nutshell. Yeah, it, it's interesting because the last few issues of this volume, we get into some kind of other stuff that I wasn't a huge fan of. Basically what happens is like in their quest to find God, they start off in New York and they meet up with one of Cassidy's old friends. And at this point, there's a serial killer who's on the loose and we come to find out that it's Cassidy's friend. That guy kind of tries to frame them as the serial killers. It feels like a weird departure from everything else in the plot. I felt like it kind of, it made a weird kind of sense because it's like, okay, if you're looking for God, then you kind of have to look for those sort of kooks on the internet who are like, I saw a weeping statue. Oh, actually, that does make sense. Yeah, I forgot that that's kind of why they bring him in. So it's one of those things where it's like, they basically go to this reporter who he works for a very fringe paper Mm -hmm. that sort of deals with UFOs and religious phenomena. Right. And then as as those issues progress, you find out that he's the litterer. Right, exactly. Which is pretty fucking gruesome. He's like skinning people's faces and then nailing it back on them. Yeah, it's he's like mailing body parts out. It's it's a super gruesome book. Yeah. But I think it's actually kind of interesting because his betrayal of his friendship with Cassidy will foreshadow events in the future. I just, rereading this book, I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like, yeah. There's so much here that is like, pays off so richly in further volumes. The characters are really cool. The dipshit angels are pretty, they're... You almost felt bad for them. You're like, wow, this really fucking sucks for them. Like, it's like mid-management angels. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And they are constantly talking about that. They're just like, we do all the work. We're the ones cleaning up all the messes. I just thought that was pretty funny. I, well, I liked what they're all schlubby and like kind of like yeah. portly. They don't really have wings. But then when they appear to humans, they try to be like, oh. Right, yeah. And, then, <laughs> and Jesse Custer is essentially like, cut that shit out. And they have to reveal themselves. So. Yeah, which I did like. I really like Cassidy as a character. He's awesome. You can totally tell this part, this character was like written to be played by David Tennant. He's the only person that I thought of whenever Cassidy was like appearing in any of these panels. Tulip, uh, sort of, I don't, I didn't really see the point of her. I'm not a huge fan. It's interesting because it seems like they kind of set the stage for her to have like, um, a much bigger arc where you sort of find out like why she's trying to kill this guy in the first place. And like that I thought was really interesting. Jesse Custer, also a really compelling character. He's kind of an asshole, but you're kind of rooting for him. Yeah, he is a very principled person. He's kind of like, he harkens back to like old school masculinity, sort of like, you know, hold the door open for ladies. Like, you know, just that. He's like a Southern guy. Southern manners, but like he's willing to, you know, he'll get his knuckles bruised up fighting someone. Yeah. Well, even he talks about it. He almost has like this imaginary friend that's John Wayne. Um, yeah, coping mechanism yeah, his trauma. Right. So it's like his dad, like, we don't really know what happened to him, but it's just like he's not in the picture and it kind of flashes back to him as a kid and John Wayne sort of like appears and like kind of is talking to him and he he sort of features throughout the comic where like he'll come and kind of give him advice 
Um, which I thought was like a really cool device. I thought that was really interesting. I like that you never see his face. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. I thought that was cool too because it's like you know it's John Wayne, but because they tell you obviously. But also it's like they're like we don't need to actually draw him for you to yeah know who this is. I like Cassidy is sort of amoral and uh, lunat loon loony. <laughs> he's like, he's amoral. Yeah. And he's he's a vampire. He just kind of runs around and like Jesse and he get along. They'll be drinking at a bar. The bartender tells him like time to close up, and ba- they basically knock him out because yeah he insults them. But Jesse insists that they still pay for his pay for their drinks. Mm-hmm. He has the word of God. He can make people do literally anything, but he chooses not to use it unless it's absolutely necessary, which I think is a great plot point because it kind of like yeah. Because otherwise, him, he could just be going around just fucking shit up, which they this. kind of do. Yeah, but. I mean, he could get on a megaphone and be like, "All right, people, we're looking for God," and you know. Yeah, and, I mean, his moral compass is strong enough that actually, you—that's a really fucking good point. Why don't they do that? Like, why don't they broadcast? Be like, God, where the fuck are you? Like, I think because the idea is that. To do that, he would subvert the free will of so many people. I guess, but it's like, if I were him, I would, like, hold, I would, like, find a nice place to set up, and then I would, like, gather, like, 60 people and be like, go find God for me. Hey, look. Like. (laughs) I'm glad this book is not about you or I, because I know what I would do with that power. What would you do? And it ain't pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, speaking of that, so there is, like, this kind of, um, sort of tertiary character who I guess his name is Assface? Arseface. Yeah, Yeah, because because England but um oh my god arse face yeah yeah so it's like there's uh the sheriff in this town who's kind of like um man I wish he stuck around longer because like what a character yeah. but um hyper racist yeah he's just like he's pretty loathsome but um in the beginning of this comic while Tulip and Cassidy and Jesse are sort of still in this town after like the explosion of this church they're kind of hanging around and there's this sheriff who's kind of like dogging them a little bit and you kind of come to find out that his son is like a huge Nirvana fan. He's like a huge fan of Kurt Cobain. And when Kurt Cobain killed himself, his son also tried to kill himself, but unsuccessfully. So he shot himself like in the in the face. And instead of killing himself, he just is horribly disfigured. And um, his face looks like a puckered asshole. It looks like his, and they call him Ars Face. And you can't understand a word he says. He's got to have captions under every word balloon. Which I really, I loved. I love that they did that. I thought that was like a really cool way to like show that. And then also it's like he's overwhelmingly positive, which I thought was a funny character trait. Even though his dad doesn't talk to him and his dad is... Yeah, it's, their interactions were some of my favorite parts of the comic. But it gets to this point where, um... Uh, Arseface's dad, the sheriff, is kind of on to them. And, like, I think there's an altercation. And Jesse basically uses the word of God. And he just says, go fuck yourself. And walks away. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's, like, you basically, it switches. uh, Like, the narrative switches it up. And a few panels later, um, the paramedics are there. And Arseface is there with his dad. And you hear the paramedic talking. He's just, like... Yeah, we were just like an hour too late. We're going to have to have the penis removed like from the colon. colon and like but he's like he will live, but unfortunately like we can't reattach it. And it's so it sucks cuz it's obviously this guy is like this hyper masculine like southern dude. He's like, you know, like very racist, very like homophobic, just very like and he basically tells Arseface, he's like, go get, you know, my gun from the belt. The first words he's spoken to his son in years. Right, yeah. So it's like they set it up where, like, Arseface and his dad are, like, sitting on the couch. And Arseface is just talking and his dad is, like, not saying anything. And then 
Um, yeah, the first thing he said to him in years, and then the sheriff just fucking kills himself. And so that kind of sets off, like, our face, like, sort of, like, is like, fuck you, Jesse Custer, like, I'm gonna fuck your shit up. Like, and so that's kind of where we leave like, Wow. He's got no teeth. No, that's okay, Justin. Just continue to make fun of the, uh... Dentally challenged? Sure. The facially challenged. Um... I love that character. And also what I like about his story is it's a third hand account of what happened. Right. And then it's like he gets his own like little side story in Mm -hmm. the later series and you kind of find out like how he ended up this way and like. I'm really interested in that too because it's like when you meet Arsface like he's um. So ugly. But also I was going to say overwhelmingly positive and I was like really surprised because the way that you sort of find out about him it paints him in like a light that you're like this kid is fucking insane but then you're like okay maybe he's not i don't know so anyway i thought that that was super interesting there's also a saint of killers oh my god which i fucking love that shit he was a fucking badass so the angels they're panicking obviously because like genesis is like loose in the world and they're like we've got to get this thing back we've got to get god back we've got to get this fucking genesis locked down in prison again or whatever and um, so they send one of their sort of like stooges, another another angel, down to wake the saint of assassins or like the saint of murderers. Yeah, he's the patron saint of killers. Oh my god! Which like this guy is just the coolest character. He's like they open up this crypt where it's like a rattlesnake is like guarding his coffin, and out comes like this kind of like old west gunslinger. He's got these like old like antique guns, but he's just like nothing can kill him is just i don't know i I love that it's it's crazy because like nothing can kill him and he just like can blast without reloading he's a cool character and i'm really excited to see more of him i let's talk about the rating because i would i would say like probably like 95 percent a a or a plus we should really figure out how those work out i need to figure something out for myself because i feel like every podcast i'm like i love this book i love this (laughs) book and it's like i I don't know if I need, like, a harder edge or, like, I need to be more of a bad boy, you know? Like, oh, yeah. fuck reading. Comic bad boy. Fuck yeah. comics. <laughs> no, it's, like, because uh, I love this book. It, it's yeah. fucking great. It's so good. Well, I mean, I think it's hard, too, because, like, the whole point of the podcast, like, we read iconic, critically acclaimed comics. Like, yeah. that's the whole deal. So I think that your, I feel like your nerd, like, soul, I don't think, I, I don't know that it could, like... Because I, it's, like, I'm coming to this... Everything that we read is, like, fresh. Like, I've never read any of this. So I feel like it's easier for me to be like, I don't like it, I like it, I don't like it, I like it, I don't like it. Mm. And, like, for you, I think it's, like, you're it's so ingrained where you're just like, I love it all. Like, it's all, like... This book also is... It's a pretty formative comic for me. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny because, like, I read it maybe 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. When I was in college, I went to the Borders... And I would just sit and read the entire oh series God. for free. R.I.P. The Stones Down I Borders. Know. I miss that place. I know. But <laughs> I, it blew my mind. And I always thought this series was much older than it is. This series ran from 1995 to 2000. Oh, really? Yeah. When I was reading it, I was kind of like, oh, my God. This is, like, you know, so old and so iconic and, yeah. and rightfully so. And it's like... It actually wasn't that old at the time. Why did you think it was so old? Was it because of the style of the art or because there was just so many issues? I think the covers, like, I didn't really oh. see any. I didn't see any covers like that. Yeah. In... Well, then this is, like, maybe a good point to talk about the art. Yeah. Fucking great art. 
So let's talk about the covers. Like, oh, you want to start with the covers? Okay. Well, yeah. Good art. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the covers? I hated them. Ooh. I. They're okay. they're terrible. Like the covers for this book, they're so bad. It's that kind of like hyper realistic stuff that I just hate. Like I, uh, the covers are terrible. Yeah. I don't know. So the artist, the cover artist is Glenn Fabry. Mm-hmm. Fabry. 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 Um, but he does these, they're like oil paintings, essentially. Yeah. And I think that he is a good painter, but the covers are often very disturbing, which I think kind of works for the book. Yeah. But my main issue is that, like, I don't think he paints the characters as they, they don't really look like the characters inside the book. Like, they're the, kind of their right. own thing. Mm-hmm. And then I also don't like how overly muscled he makes, like, everybody there, like, Tulip is, like, fucking oh my God. six-pack like, yeah. abs, like, like she looks like someone with, like, 0% body fat. Oh, yeah, and kind of, like, big tits, and, like, it is that early 90s vibe. But he does have some pretty striking imagery. Um, oh, yeah. So I give him credit for that. I give him credit for talent and striking imagery, but... He loses points because it's like, you could make him look like the characters a little bit. I know. I think it's really, like, the only thing that is similar is just, like, kind of what they're wearing and, like, their hair. Which, like, it's so interesting how... Oh, what's the word? It's the opposite of timeless. It's, like, when you can tell Oh, it's decade. so uh, it's so of its time. It, like, yeah, yeah. It, it totally is, where it's just kind of, like... Tulip kind of looks like Meg Ryan. Jesse's got that weird fucking curly situation... Cassidy kind of looks like a knockoff, like, sort of, like, David Bowie-esque type... I don't know. It's just, uh, you can tell what it is, and you can tell what he was trying to do, but it just looks really stiff. That's the fucking word I'm looking for. It just looks so stiff. And to me, I don't want to jump on the bandwagon and beat this guy up too much, because he's a good artist. It's it's just Technically. He's technically a good artist. (laughs) He, I don't know, like, Cassidy always looks sinister, which works, because he's a vampire, but I feel like he also makes Tulip and Jesse and just about anybody look sinister. And it's kind of like, they're not sinister. Like, Jesse's yeah. a good guy. Like, Well, also, but how much do you think that that had to do with the time that these comics were coming out? Because it's like, I was actually, so one of the covers is literally the face, like someone holding up a guy's face skin. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, in if you've ever been in a comic shop, it's like, it's just walls of like covers. Like, that's how you display comic books, obviously. So it's just kind of like, I just can't imagine, what was the period of time where like putting a book like this out was like fine? And we're like, yeah, we're going to put this up on our wall. It's just some dude's face skin. Yeah, I mean, it was 95 to 2000. It's a Vertigo book, so it's for quote unquote mature readers. Yeah. Uh, you can tell because of the violence, gore, profanity, nudity, all that stuff. Yeah. But I think also the covers, they're, they're like reveling in this. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, definitely very dark, edgy sort of, like... Let's move on to the interior art, because I really like the interior art. I did, I, too. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was Steve great. Steve Dillon. It's, like, it's really good. Again, it's, like, he... Here's the thing. It's, like, he also goes... He, on the spectrum, he's definitely closer to that sort of realistic hyper-realism. Yeah. But I think he does it well. It's stylized enough that it's, like, it looks good where it's very similar to like someone i mean okay their art styles are completely different but like just someone who i would be thinking of like fiona staples like she does like realistic kind of but it's stylized you know what i mean so it's like yeah 
So Steve Dillon, he's part of what's known as like the British invasion. He came over very early. He actually got his first published work at 16. Oh, wow. So he's... Well, what was it? Uh, it was in the Incredible Hulk Weekly for Marvel UK. Oh, okay. And he just did the title story. So it's a random Hulk story. Oh, wow. Um, he worked for like a bunch of the British uh, heavy hitters, like 2000 AD and Warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, he eventually makes his way over here, and he's really good. He's like... It's, it's strange because he... Um, He's a very... He's not a very flashy penciler. Yeah. Um, there's... Everything is sort of eye level. You don't have a lot of dramatic, um, you know, bird's eye view where you're, like, looking down on the characters or, like, you're looking up at them and they're, like, the perspective is warped. It's not superhero art in the slightest. Yeah, which it's, is what I liked about it. So much of the story is carried on the acting that his... That his drawings... Like, the drawings, physicality of the Yeah, characters. the way, like, their yeah. expressions, mm-hmm. the way they tilt their head... I would almost consider him more of a storyteller than an artist because, like, his work... That's so pretentious. I'm a storyteller. I'm not an artist. Yeah, I know. It's pretentious. I tell stories. <laughs> but, I, don't, I don't do comics. The rumor is... The rumor is, and this is confirmed by Garth Ennis, the writer, mm-hmm. that he could do upwards of five pages in a day. Wow. Which is insane because most artists struggle to do a page a day and some even are, you know, you're lucky if you get a page done in a week. And so he, like, to do five pages in a day is... It's pretty impressive. It's really impressive. And then Garth Ennis was also but saying... But also, it's like, if you had been doing this shit since you were 16, like, you're a pro. Yeah, that's, like, you're... Yeah, you're yeah. just a pro, and you've been, like, churning it out. Yeah. Garth Ennis was saying that, like, it actually slowed him down to pencil for an inker. So American comics are made in that somebody writes it, Another person pencils it, and then some, they pass it on to an inker. It's very assembly line mm-hmm. to keep this thing moving so they can come out monthly. But it actually slowed Steve Dillon down to pencil for someone else's inks because he had to draw everything. Mm. When he was inking his own work, he could draw stick figures and then basically do the drawings with straight ink. It's just... Yeah. It's kind of crazy. I don't know. Five More than five pages a day seems a little bit... Sloppy. Like, you would, like, lose the quality? No. There's a tendency to sort of lionize the dead. And unfortunately, Steve Dillon has passed. And so, like, Mm -hmm. of course, now all we hear is, like, very glowing things about him. yeah. And so it's, like, part of me is, like, is this a little bit of a myth, the five pages a day? Yeah. I don't know. I do know that he suffers from same-face-itis. I could see that. Even Tulip kind of looks like Jesse sometimes. Yeah. Where you're like, yeah, these are the same people. Like <laughs> And I mean if you look like at his work across the different uh books Just that book, he's done yeah. for Marvel, for DC, for all the different publishers in between. Yeah. Everybody kinda looks like uh, Tulip or Jesse or Cassidy. Like right. and I know I shouldn't speak ill of the dead. It, it bugs me a little bit when it's no, like... No, I mean, I, I think that, yeah, it's like, this is in the public domain. Like, this yeah. is his work. You can be critical of it. It's Thank not you. him. Yeah. Like... <laughs> no, and uh, to be honest, like, he is the perfect penciler for this book. Yeah. I can't see anybody else drawing this book. So yeah. whose, like, brainchild was this? Was this, like, Garth Ennis coming to Steve Dillon being like, hey, I've got a story, or was this them working together to kind of, like, create this? I should know that. Okay. <laughs> um, I do know that the two of them are very close. Mm-hmm. They met in 1989, kind of hit it off, and they're like, there's a story Garth Ennis tells about how, like, later they were at some 
soiree, some gathering. Yeah. And it was basically 2 a.m. The two of them are up mm-hmm. and everyone else has passed out or gone home. And they're just killing a bottle of Jameson talking about what they want to do with comics. Yeah. What they're going to do, how they're going to change <laughs> the game, you know. And I love it because it, it's so Jesse and Cassidy. Oh, yeah. You know, that yeah. sort of tight friendship. This is a book for all its gore and violence and all that other stuff. This is a book about friendship. This is a book about love. Yeah. This is a book about man's search for meaning. It's really deep stuff. Yeah, I would agree with you about the man's search for meaning kind of. That's like, that's what this really felt like to me. Because it's like, at the end, yeah, it's like at its foundation, it's like Jesse is looking for God. Like how much more... On the nose. Yeah, yeah, it's like he's literally like... And obviously it's like they've cloaked it in this kind of comic book sort of like universe where it's like, okay, we're we're looking for God because now Jesse is like the most like powerful being in the universe. And but, it, it, it feels weird to call a book that so prominently features like sexual mutilation animal Mm -hmm. fucking yeah uh like all these like serial killing and ridiculous stuff it's like it feels weird to call it deep and insightful Mm -hmm. but it really is it's kind of like if a very mature and philosophical person (laughs) had a 12 year old sense of humor okay and was kind of trying to push everything to be all edgy and like i said dicks yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know actually that's fair and I just love, like, so these two guys, they've worked on a lot of things together. Which is crazy, too. So they met in 88, 89? 89, yeah. Well, so what the fuck was, like, in the water in England at that time? Because wasn't this the same time that is, like, Alan Moore and, like, Neil Gaiman were, like, doing their shit, too? Kind of. So, okay, I mentioned earlier the British invasion. Yeah. The British invasion actually takes place in the early 80s. And okay. so you've got writers like Alan Moore, who is really the godfather of the British invasion. He's yeah. the, like... The, yeah, he's he, the guy. He's the guy. But you've also got Grant Morrison. You've got Neil Gaiman. You've got all these... Peter Milligan. You've got, like, highly established writers who were... They were coming over from the British stuff, mm-hmm. and they were bringing a more naturalized dialogue. Because yeah. superheroes were kind of not good at dialogue that wasn't corny and ridiculous. That checks out, yeah. And so <laughs> they were, like... They definitely, like, leaned into the writing. Like, these... Te- they told compelling stories, mm-hmm. but they often had mature themes... And they often dealt with a lot of profanity, violence, uh, stuff that was not really seen here. So that's what's known as the British Invasion. And mm-hmm. Steve Dillon is eight years older than Garth Ennis. Oh, okay. So he's actually considered part of the British Invasion. He's one of the artists oh, that came cool. over. Whereas Garth Ennis, as I was you know, doing more research into him, is he comes in at the late... 80s like he was breaking into comics in like 88 89 yeah and so he's not really considered part of that british invasion but they definitely paved the way for him Mm -hmm. to come over here and take the comic world by storm so who do you think is cassidy and who's jesse in that relationship i think that they are both cassidy Mm. because um steve dylan is from england bedfordshire okay and (laughs) uh and Garth Ennis is from Ireland. Mm-hmm. And so they're providing an outsider's look at America. This book really meanders throughout America over the course of its series. Mm-hmm. Jesse Custer travels America. Looking to, for God. Looking for God. And so it's kind of like a loving critique. It's like it's poking fun at us, but it's yeah. celebrating us. It's like to them, America, to these two essentially immigrants, like America's this land of vast opportunity. And that right. really shows in this work. And, yeah, so I think that they're Cassidy mm-hmm. without some of the 
some of Tendencies. the more yeah. rough around the edges yeah. sort of. And I think Jesse Custer is their idealized version of the American man. Kind of like yeah. He really John is, Wayne sort yeah. of yeah. He really is such a likable character. Like Jesse. Yeah. Yes and no. I like him for the the kind of vibe that he brings. And I like that he's like a preacher, but also he's like very rough around the edges. Like I like that a lot. But there are some things about him that I don't like. I don't know. He I he's like he there were some moments where he sort of rubs me the wrong way as just almost being like a little bit too much of a pole dark where it's just like, oh okay, so it's like you're yeah, just very okay. morally he like, yes, he is know, a Poldark. He actually kind of looks like Poldark, too. I know, he really does. Uh, also, yes, we're going to keep referencing this like weirdly obscure PBS, um, BBC bullshit. So if you want to watch Poldark, go do basically, that. Basically, Poldarking is when you do the right thing at the expense of yourself and your loved ones. Right. It's kind of like... It's <laughs> For like, seven seasons. Oh, uh, like, yes. Or however you, long that show ran. <laughs> so another interesting thing to note about the creative... Uh, team Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon. Steve Dillon was actually Garth Ennis's best man. That's how close they Aww. got over the course of their working careers. Not just on this, They're buddies. but buddies. Yeah. yeah. And then also apparently, like when they got together, they never discussed work. Like, oh, where are they going? What do we want to make this series? It's like Garth Ennis would write scripts to try and entertain his friend, mm-hmm. and Steve Dillon would just draw to the best of his ability. That's really cool. And, and this is the only thing they worked on together. No, they worked on a ton of stuff together. Oh, they really? Have a, they what have else? a yeah. So they've worked together on Hellblazer with John Constantine. Constantine. Wow. <laughs> Constantine. You know, I heard someone call him Constantine earlier today, and I was like, that's not right. But then here I am, and I said it. I mean, yeah. Magneto, Magneto. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, Shutting that shit down right now. They've worked together on The Punisher. Mm-hmm. That was a long collaboration. That's also another great book we should read. Okay. And then... Um, I've never been a huge fan of The Punisher, but fine. You might like it. Same writer, same artist as this, so mm-hmm. you might find yourself compelled by it. Maybe. And then this, obviously, is probably their most notable collaboration, Preacher. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. Nice. What did you think of, like, the religious themes in this and, like, how downright blasphemous this book could be? I mean, I didn't... I Blasphemous, I think, is a weird way to describe it. Just because I wouldn't, I don't know. To me, like, blasphemy is, like, kind of, like, um, taking religion and just sort of, like, shitting on it and being very provocative with it. And I really didn't think that they did that. They do have some, like, visuals of the angel and the demon sort of, like, fucking. And obviously Genesis is then born. But I didn't really feel like it was problematic or blasphemous i really i i like it i like it when people play with religion in a fictional context and like obviously the angels are like really interesting characters so yeah i would argue that the idea of god abandoning his creation is blasphemous or uh and i and i say this not as a particularly religious person myself but like i guess i'm looking at more of a literal definition of blasphemy where i'm like i don't find it offensive yeah in fact i i I love it. Like, I think it's yeah. awesome. But, like, th- these angels are whiny little dumpling people. Oh, yeah. Who uh, are, like, getting drunk because they know that they're fucked because they've lost Genesis. Yeah. I mean, later, later in the series, you're going to have, like, angels doing coke. Okay, then, yeah. You're going to see I guess the, pretty Whatever. <laughs> like, you're going to see the inbred descendant of Jesus Christ because they tried to keep <laughs> the bloodline pure. Like, wow. That's actually yeah. fascinating. I mean, I'm kind of... I'm into that. I, I feel like it's, like, it's such a 
I don't know. It's an old, old story that is just like, I mean, I'm talking about the Bible and just like, you know, angels and God and Jesus and whatever. And it's just like, it's really interesting. I love it when people play with that in fiction. I think it's fascinating. So Garth Ennis is an avowed atheist, um, which I think is really interesting because this book is really well researched. Oh, yeah. Um, But I think as an atheist, you kind of have to be really well researched because it's like the people who are into this and it's actually their religion and they believe very strongly or like are there like if you're arguing with them you need to know your shit it's opposition like, research essentially yeah, yeah exactly like know your enemy <laughs> <laughs> no. but it, it's crazy because like it's so meticulously researched like down to the like jesse custer's word of god that red letter font that oh he gets, yeah that sort of re- is a reference to like early bibles when they they would print the word of Jesus in these sort of bold red type oh, to cool. indicate that he spoke that way. So like, I think that's it's really like neat. the way Garth Ennis described it is that like, so he grew up in Ireland, yeah, which is a country that's literally been torn apart by religious re- war, yeah, yeah. religious <laughs> differences. And so like, he believes that religion has probably done more harm than good yeah. over the course of like mm-hmm. history. But he likes to explore kind of the pull that it has on people, the power that religion has over people. Mm -hmm. And I think also he mentions like, yeah, you just, you get cooler imagery to play with angels and demons and gods. and Totally. And it's so relatable just because religion is such a pervasive part of just humanity. I mean, especially like Western religion where it's like Catholicism and, you know, Christianity. It's just like, yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was really interesting. I also just love that it's like this man is both literally and figuratively searching for God. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just like, I love that. Like, and like when we first come upon him, he's a preacher, but he doesn't, he's, he's lost not a good preacher. He's lost, <laughs> he's lost the faith really. Yeah. But then is confronted with like direct evidence of God right. and you know, all of this other stuff. But then at the same time, like he judges God and his like, his moral compass tells him that what God did is wrong. And right. so now he's going to come and, and sort of hold, and straighten him out. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Which like, fucking. It's balls. a great series. <laughs> Do yourself a favor. Check it out. It's also like, weirdly, maybe the greatest love story that I've ever read. Really? Oh yeah, Tulip and Jesse. Like. Really? Yeah. Like, well, they they start off pretty fucking rough. Like. Hey, it's your it's your typical rom com, you know. I guess. These two hate each other. <laughs> How will they ever learn to love? Well, it's so it's kind of annoying because it's like she. She's definitely got a chip on her shoulder because he walked out on her five years ago. And it's sort of unclear why he did that. He kind of dropped some hints, which I'm sure are going to be resolved later in the series, where he's like, look, I had to leave. I can't tell you why just yet because it's hard for me to talk about. But just so you know, like, I didn't want to leave. I had to. And it's like, I don't know. Tulip, to me, is I don't really like her as a character. She's just not very interesting. I don't feel like her motivations, at least the motivations that have been revealed to us so far, are very compelling and it's weird because she kind of sticks around they kind of are making this joke constantly about how she's just sticking around because she's waiting for jesse to sort of like say he's sorry or tell her why he left and it feels like a i i understand that she's obviously there for more than that it's contrived it it feels like a yeah it's weak it's just kind of like what okay it's like this this is bad character motivation i will probably reread this whole series and i'm interested because i feel like there's been an ongoing discussion in comics that has really kind of come to the foreground where it is like we do it's a field that has not it's been written and drawn primarily by men 
there have been like notable exceptions to this, but it's a male dominated space. Yeah. And so there's this conversation coming to the forefront about like, what is like in comics, like the way we write women, like, is it appropriate? Is it like fair kind of, you know, like, is it, Mm. is it more than just a shallow depiction of like someone pining for a man? And so I am kind of curious because I know that her story gets more fleshed out, but I'm not, I can't say with certainty that it's better, like good character motivation. Like it's like, she might stay kind of a shallow love interest. I want to mm-hmm. hope not because I really like Garth Ennis as a writer. Yeah, they are just kind of potentially using her as a vehicle for other, like, sort of but plot But I'm leaning towards no mm. in that regard. Yeah. But, you know, I will obviously retract that statement. If... Well, my interest is definitely peaked to hear you say that this is, like, one of the greatest love stories that you've ever... I really like it. I would be curious to see, like, where this goes. Yeah, so I- I'm curious about, like... How you think this book is, obviously it's kind of tame, like neither yeah. one of us considers it like personally blasphemous. We're not like, oh, heavens to Betsy. Right, like, like, oh my gosh, this clutching our pearls. upsetting imagery. <laughs> right. So it's like, obviously, you know, we're in 2020 now and it's like, it's not really offensive. Yeah. But there's some pretty offensive shit in here. Like, just language. Like, oh, like the language that people use. They're definitely with... dropping, like, the N-word. They also are using, like... Yeah, And I... there's some pretty vile sexual acts. There's, like... Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. So it's, like, I wonder, like, if this book could be written today. I think it could. Because it's... None of it feels flippant. None of it feels like it's being used, like not as a way to further the plot. Does that make sense? Or to reveal who a character is? I think some of it is flippant, but I think that it's intentionally flippant. I mean, I, yeah, I just never, I never felt, like, I did, I wouldn't say that this is offensive. I guess the point that I want to drive home is that, like, I want to compare it to someone like Mark Millar. Oh. Like, why does Mark Millar's work leave me feeling, like, kind of sick and just kind of, like, nauseous? Like, uh, why? Yeah. And then someone like Garth Ennis, whose work is arguably more violent, more, like, sexually provocative, more, Mm -hmm. like, like, all of this stuff, it's like, why does this book make me laugh? Like, why am I happy when I read it? Why do I consider it one of the greatest love stories ever when it's arguably ten times worse than whatever? I mean, I I think I can answer that in the sense where, because Mark Miller was... Red, Red Sun, Sun. But, but That's what, we, yeah. yeah, we... Uh, uh, and I, yeah, and I, I remember sort of, like, yeah, look at that stuff. And it's because his shit and the stuff that he has said, like, when we were talking about it in that podcast, it's, like, it's gratuitous. Like, it's, there's no purpose behind it other than just to, like, uh, titillate and yeah. to be there for shock value. Uh, Whereas, yeah. like, yeah, with Garth Ennis and, like, Steve Dillon, like, pretty sure, like, it felt like it served a purpose. Like, it's, like, it's here... For the plot, it it's like there's a reason. Like it's not gratuitous. They're not wasting our time. Um, you know, it's like when there are sort of like graphic situations. It's like it's never done in a way where it's like you don't feel like it's there for shock value. Right. Uh, I sometimes feel like it's there for shock value. But really? I'm, but like, I'm do you a... have like a specific part that you like? The whole like he got like the fucks himself. With his own cut off dick, but you like, don't see it. You don't see it, but the it's almost worse that the like when they describe, they're like, no. you put two and two. Like I'm saying that that's shocking to a comics audience in 1995. Yeah, I'm not saying it's shocking now, but I guess I guess I think you had a good point about like the titillation where it's like, yeah, Mark Millar is trying to like 
it's a rape scene, but it kind of feels like it's there to get you like mm, yeah, spicy. Ex- I mean, yeah, exactly. And, and I feel like, like and none I feel of like, it felt like that in this. Yeah, I feel like with Garth Ennis, like anyone who says hateful, racist, homophobic things usually gets a comeuppance. Yeah, and it's like. And sometimes it's even more than they deserve. You're like, yeah, he was a racist, but oof. <laughs> like, no, it's you know, like they're bad people. And they're it's bad like people. they meet the end they deserve. And I would say lastly that Garth Ennis is like, in writing, he has like equal opportunity sexual violence. Like Mark Millar yeah. feels like it's like he just, it almost feels like he hates women because yeah. he's constantly <laughs> writing them this way. Whereas like Garth Ennis is like, and then he was raped. And then the animal was raped. Right. And then Tina, and you're just like, and it's like throwing it out there. Right. Like it's he's like. He's an equal opportunity rapist. Exactly. Well, he's not a rapist. Right. Let's, yeah. I sorry. Be, Let's backtrack. I want to be very clear. We are not calling right. Garth Ennis nope. a rapist. Yep. That's, um, uh, yeah, I misspoke. But, but I feel like because he so mercilessly skewers everyone and everything. Yeah. I think that you kind of end up being like, it's like being able to laugh at yourself. Because yeah. like. I might not be the racist homophobic cop, but I might be like an overly pretentious comic nerd who kind of gives <laughs> Jesse some shit in the big city. You right. know, like you can kind of like almost everybody has their aspect represented in this book. Yeah. And I feel like he'll skewer anybody and anything mm-hmm. and it's like so you can't help but laugh at it. And it's like you laugh at other people, you laugh at yourself, it's all good. Exactly. Whereas yeah, Mark Miller's like I'm going to write a book and it's going to sell like a Netflix <laughs> series. Ugh. Better have some more rape in here. Like, I hate that guy. All right. I think it is probably time. Time for what? For you know what. Beyond the panel. Yes. All right. Okay. So today's Beyond the Panel. Again, we're doubling up. We're, um, Justin and I, we have the same Beyond the Panel. Because yes. Because we watched it because together. Because we're married. Oh, God. And we love the same things. Oh, God. Please don't. We look are it. one. <laughs> <laughs> resistance is futile anyway okay so in reading this book we wanted to check out um amc's preacher the series i think it's wrapped up i think it it just wrapped up so it went for three seasons four seasons oh really yeah so it's obviously been around for the last few years neither of us have watched it i tried watching the first 15 minutes when it was first released what a fucking trash fire yeah it was awful it was probably the worst thing i've ever no that's hyperbolic that yeah it's not the worst thing i've ever seen but god i hate this show yeah it was so long and so they like pointlessly changed stuff i'll give them credit the two things i liked in it were the opening sequence where Genesis is flying through space. Oh, And yeah. it's, like, kind of retro, like an old movie. Yeah, it, and, that was really cool. And it, it has the eerie sound, because Genesis is, like, a baby. Yeah. The way that they draw him, like, it's a baby. Screaming baby face comet. As this comet sort of, like, going through the universe, you can kind of hear the distant sound of, like, a baby crying. Yeah. So I like that, and I like the scene where Jesse Custer's, like, getting out of bed, and you see all the... the jameson or like whatever whiskey he's yeah, drinking the yeah. beers and it's like okay did you also notice that the label and i don't know if they're going to call back to this in the series but the label on the whiskey that he's drinking looks like the john wayne illustration oh i didn't notice that and i'm wondering if they're going to try to do this thing where that comes out of the bottle and like starts talking to him Ugh. God. I know. I could just, like, you know what this show really, like, they, it, for, at first it seemed like they were changing a bunch of stuff 
pointlessly. Yeah. And I was like, why are they doing this? Why have we not even seen anything from the comic yet? Like, Oh, and like Cassidy in the airplane with the vampire hunters? Like, what? Yeah, it was, it's like, but then I was like, oh, it's a budget thing. Because yeah. in, in the comic, the town of Anvil blows up. Like, the whole town is... In, like, con- the first few panels. Yeah. Like, that's, like, the initial thing that happens. They're done. Now everybody's moving away from Anvil. And this, it's like, oh, you're going to keep us in Anvil yeah. for the entire season, They I also, think. like, make up this other character, Emily, who's, like, in love with Jesse. And it's so boring. It's like, who are you? I know. Like, why do we care about this? Ugh. And they try to give Jesse this, like past of like oh it's like he's like a hitman or something it's like it's like no he's not he and tulip were essentially just running wild like they were basically two young kids in love just raising hell across the country and that's the other thing they make tulip like an insane like she's like she's out just doing hits like making bazookas out of coffee cans and army men and like it just it's like look i don't mind you making tulip a little more badass as i said before she may have gotten the short end of the stick but yeah at the same time, like, I don't want to see her as a ruthless killer. I think a reluctant hitman is way more interesting. They than, also like, make up an uncle that, like, lives in that town. Yeah. It's the, just like... It's like Sheriff Root and Jesse interact a lot. He talks to Arseface before. It's like... Yeah. All of this stuff, it's like, oh, you're going to make this, like, this weird soap opera. This book moves at a fast clip. A yeah. lot of stuff happens. Highly entertaining. Well, also, one thing that was just so frustrating is, like... This book would make a great TV series. Yeah. Like, as I was reading this, I was actually super excited to watch the show with you because I was like, oh, it's going to be amazing. Like, I can't believe that I've been depriving myself for these last four years. Just the way that it's set up in the comic, it's like, this right, it's already written. Do this. Just make this comic into the show. So this, uh, this adaptation actually languished in development hell. They've had, originally they tried to do an independent movie. That fell through. Mm. Then they pitched it to HBO, and that fell through. And then they tried to get two feature films made of it, and it's like, it would never work as a feature film. Yeah, it has to be a TV series. Right. And it's like, so then, like, they get this AMC series going, and I was like, oh, this, I was really excited, too, especially after rereading this. I was like, can't wait to see it adapted. Um, Everything looks pretty savant on. I should have known when I read Garth Ennis's... uh, reaction to it it what was did he say? lukewarm to say uh, the least yeah that checks out god I, I just like i wonder if this is how fans of the walking dead feel oh actually yeah you know AMC, what I mean? amc like, is like great at bastardizing comic properties where it's just like just make the comic just make the fucking comic like why are you changing things did they also do did amc Oh my god, I'm literally losing my voice in real time right now. But um did Thanks Chloe and Ashley for throwing an amazing going away party and making a shout all night. I know. It actually was so much fun and we're gonna miss you guys terribly. I know, I love them so we much. We love you. Yeah. We had a blast, but we also feel very poorly this yeah, morning. We're definitely we're definitely in recovery. Yeah, I think was well that's what I was gonna say was um were American Gods, is that also AMC? No, that's stars. Oh, okay, then never mind. But I feel like they I, they totally fucked that one up, too. So Garth Ennis said of Preacher... Okay. It didn't particularly set the world on fire. Great cast, great direction, great design. Writing was a bit up and down. I mean, yeah, putting um, it mildly. I think, I think putting it mildly, writing is a bit up and down. I do think that, like, the cast, with the exception of Jesse, yeah. looks pretty much like the comic... He's just Jesse a, just looks too polished. He looks too much like a fuckboy. He's, he's too like, metro, and yeah. he's, and his voice is a little too high. 
of an octave for I don't He just looks too quaffed. Yeah. And like Jesse is like a little bit more like rough around the edges. He's like a little bit more like rugged handsomeness. Yeah, yeah. and they went just like a little too pretty. Yeah. Yeah. And so and I actually I think like visually the directing is like it has some really great shots, but it just like I don't know why they felt the need to rewrite this masterpiece like no, why did, i don't know like and and I, well i know why they felt the need it's it's purely budget because yeah like you know as soon as you don't see the angels in heaven it's yeah. like oh you just wanted to show them like they do this thing where it's like these two mysterious people are kind of wandering around in the wake of genesis yeah and the very last scene is them showing up in anvil and you're like oh so is this going to be some bullshit where it's like soap opera in town and these angels are kind of poking around. And it's like, who are these mysterious strangers who are trying to find out more? Like, yeah, ugh, so boring. And it, it really it was rough. It reminded me so much of the early days of comic adaptations, where it was like mm. studios felt the need to change everything because are you like, talking about Daredevil? Yes, not the I, Netflix one, the Ben Affleck I'm, one. You know what? I fucking hate the de- the Netflix one too. Wow, really? I don't like the Daredevil Netflix series for different reasons. Mm. Uh, it's too faithful to a version of the character that I don't particularly resonate with. Okay. It's a valid interpretation. <laughs> the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie yeah. is not faithful. They change a bunch of shit just because like modern audiences won't accept this. And I mm. feel like Marvel Studios proved that theory wrong. And then to see AMC come along and still fuck up? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not like a I'm not like a super continuity guy like it has to be exactly the same but this just felt so disrespectful it was like you're gonna place this in this tiny town in in Texas because why exactly yeah I was like okay sure I just I don't think I don't think this podcast is getting across just how much we both loathe it was this. rough it was like it was not how I wanted to spend an hour of my Sunday yeah we were we watched it and we're like, okay, we'll watch it, and then we'll like record the podcast, and we watched it, and then we're both too like down. Yeah, to we just... had to like take a break. We're like, let's go get some coffee get and some... just like take a minute. Yeah, like... it was like it was just so boring. <laughs> it like and... it literally sapped us of our will to do this podcast. Like, <laughs> and they just got so many little things wrong too. Or it's like. And again, I I really want to like stress too. It's like I am not someone who is like super pedantic about um books to film any kind of like film adaptation. I'm normally like not a big stickler just because Yeah, you're I, even less than I am. Like Yeah, it's like I feel like I just I accept that the movie is going to be a different animal from whatever book or uh thing it's based on. But with this, it was so infuriating because they just got it so wrong. So wrong. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so I don't foresee us watching any more of this series. Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm, like, done. I can see myself getting the books from the library and rereading this whole series. I can see myself buying them when they're, you know, used and pretty cheap. I can't see myself. There's no situation I can foresee where I would want to sit down and watch the show again. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing there. Yeah. I feel like we got back into that down where it's like... I'm just talking about it. We're just like, yeah, wow. I'm going to go take a nap now. I just need to recover. In conclusion, the book made me happy (laughs) and the show made me sad. Yeah, so (laughs) the end. Book happy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think that's Comic Bay for this week, folks. I think you're right. Yeah. All right. Next week, we're reading Saga, Volume 1. So if you feel like following along, you know, 
pick it up from your local library or go to the nearest comic shop. Yeah, and um, as usual, you can follow us on Twitter at Comic Bay Podcast. Um, we try to update it. We're getting better. We're, we're working on it. Um, <laughs> Positivity 2020, baby! Positivity 2020! <laughs> Alright, we'll see you guys next week. Bye! Sign out.